0: Good morning, everyone. Actually, uh, more correctly, it's Mothering Sunday. Uh, You know, I I searched Tesco for a card that said Mothering Sunday, but all I could come up with was Mother's Day. Of course, Mothering Sunday, a very Anglican thing, hence my dog collar. I just want to remind you the roots of Mothering Sunday. The fourth Sunday of Lent, the day when uh, young women were allowed to go home to their mothers, those who were in service And other traditions say it's also the day when you go back to your mother church, um, the church where you were nurtured and grew to know the Lord. So it has some fine roots. I was thinking of my mother. My mother died when she was 46, and I have a daughter now who is just short of 46. That is extraordinary. And I tried to think, as you were talking about my relationship with my mum, who died when I was 20. I think in many ways my mum was a reluctant mother. I think she had a lot of aspirations, and motherhood just happened to come along as part and parcel of marriage. I was thinking, too, of... um, her daughter, Maya, who we'll be looking after shortly because it's Easter holidays, she's just seven. And um, she explained to us in the car yesterday that she had no wish to get married, but that she was going to be a mother. We tried to explain to her, as you do to a seven-year-old, that there had to be a man involved, to which she replied, no. I learned at school that you can be a mother and you don't need a man. Which reminded me of earlier in the week when we were up on the Staffordshire Moorlands and I was speaking about our life and career and the years when we had to separate from our children for schooling purposes. A man at that meeting told me that um, they did not... Want to entrust their children to others to bring them up, so they had homeschooled all four of them. Brilliant, I said. I didn't know what else to say, having entrusted my children to a very different system. But the point is, of course, we can't shield our children from the generation, the society, the uh, context of their lives no matter what we decide to do with them. Thinking about mothers is an interesting thing. You know, I was saying to Alison earlier when we were praying, it's very easy to get sentimental about today, it's very easy to romanticize the idea of motherhood. But what I want to look at this morning is the story of Hagar and Sarah And there's very little sentiment there, and there's very little romance there. Bible Society, I've mentioned this to one or two people, recently produced some podcasts called She Too. They are worth listening to. Go onto the Bible Society website, you will find them there. They take five or six stories of women in the Old Testament. One in the New, where uh, the stories are salutary and very, very difficult to read. We were at a conference recently on the Bible, and Spurgeon was quoted. Spurgeon, who said, defend God's word, I would as soon defend a lion. And the title of the conference was, Let the Lion Loose. The lion being the word of God. and I just want to suggest to you this morning that lions are extremely ferocious, challenging, at times threatening creatures. What does it mean to let the lion loose? So I want you this morning, as you think about these two women, to allow the lion to run loose and to experience God's word in a way which um, is perhaps unfamiliar let me read the beginning of the story of Hagar because it sets the context Shara Abram's wife had borne him no children but she did have an Egyptian slave named Hagar And she said to Abram, well, God has kept me from having children, so go and sleep with my slave. And perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So Abraham, after he'd been living in Canaan 10 years, took the Egyptian slave Hagar and had sex with her, and she conceived. But Shara, when she knew that Hagar was pregnant, despised Hagar. And Hagar despised her. And then Shari got angry with Abraham and said, it's all your fault. I put my slave in your arms and now she's pregnant and she despises me. Well, said Abraham, your slave is your property. You do what you like with her. And so she mistreated her so that Hagar ran away. And she ran into the desert and she had nowhere to go and she had no means of support Or sustenance. But the angel of the Lord found her near a spring. And he said, Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? Well, I'm running away from my mistress, she said. And the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And then he added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. And the angel said to her, you are pregnant and you will give birth to a son. And you will call him Ishmael because the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone will be against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. And Hagar gave this name to the Lord. You are the God who sees me. And that's why the well was called Lehi-Roi, which means the God who sees me. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. And he was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. What a story. And what a household Here are two women who ended up being mothers reluctantly or unwittingly. And they have something to say to us about the world we live in today. These are gritty, uncomfortable, unpleasant stories. And they are the realities for many women who live today on our planet and in our global village and in our country? We live in a world where women are enormously abused, one way or another. Whether it's FMG or arranged marriage or sheer necessity, there are many women who find themselves in a place. Where their potential as human beings, made in the image of God, will never be realized. And where motherhood brings as much agony as it does joy. So the question is, how does their story work in our culture? And what does it have to say to us in our generation so we come to Sarai and Hagar. So Hagar was Sarah's slave. She was her property. And as such, she did not have any say whatsoever about what happened to her. And so Sarah has this bright idea of building a family Note the words, maybe I can build a family through her. But it doesn't work out like that. In many ways, Hagar is like the secondary character in the story because we so revere Sarah and Abraham through our Christian faith. Someone has even suggested this is an overlooked, well, shall I say the word, Rape narrative. This is sex without consent, isn't it? Which the law has a lot to say about today. Hagar is simply handed over to Abraham so that Sarah, her mistress, can build a family through her. So, this is a story really about gender, isn't it? It's about patriarchy, it's about consent. Of course there was more to it than that. Sarah no doubt felt a failure. She was not a mother and yet her husband had had this great promise that he would be a father. You can sort of sense the dilemma here, can't you? How is he to be a father if she could not be a mother? I have a dear friend who has longed to have children and for her today is very, very difficult. She always feels it today. A sense of sadness, perhaps guilt, shame, loss. And she says the stress of re- rejoicing. She's not quite my age. Whenever a friend of hers comes and says, guess what? I'm pregnant. Perhaps this is how Sarah felt about Hagar. After all, I had another friend who said, I fall pregnant so easily, all my husband has to do is hang his trousers over the end of my bed. We've all got friends like that. Perhaps we've been like that. But it's a bitter pill to swallow when you long to be a mom and you can't. And so she gives Hagar to Abraham. Hagar falls pregnant. And then Sarah mistreats her. I mean, this is just awful, isn't it? So badly that she has to run away. We live in a world where our prayers is littered with stories of runaway women, wives, young girls. And she runs into the desert. She's a remarkable woman, you know. She's the only woman in the Bible who gives a name to God. That must be special, don't you think? A name by which God is known. You are the God who sees me. Nobody else has seen me. For who I am. I'm just a chattel, a slave. Nobody else has seen me but you are the God who sees me. I just think that is just a wonderful kernel of bright joy to hang on to in this story. No matter what our circumstances are where we end up you are the God who sees me. And we have a problem with the God who sees me because the God who sees me gives her a message to the angel, go back, go back to that awful abusive situation, go back. Now I don't know why God told her to go back. It's hard to swallow in a way. Wouldn't, God, wouldn't you think God might have been able to make some other provision for Hagar? But no, go back Hagar. And I'm struck Um, by the New Testament imperatives, slaves obey your masters, wives obey your husbands. Why? Because when Peter wrote those words, for a slave not to obey his or her master, was almost certain death, or at least worse, abandonment. And the same for a wife who didn't obey her husband. In Peter's day, Paul's day, wives had no rights. You know, so, and then Peter goes on to say, but in your hearts, reverence Christ as Lord. In other words, you don't have a choice here. Maybe that's what God was saying to Hagar. You don't have a choice, Hagar. You're either going to die in the desert here with your baby that you're pregnant with, or you need to go back I don't think any of us well I hope none of us here in this church were failed to be moved perhaps even to weep over the story of Shemima Begum it was a desperate story and the story of Hagar reminded me of it these teenage girls who run away to become ISIS brides. Have you seen the picture of the camps where they're now being kept? Terribly heart-rending pictures, young women in black burkas, hundreds of children of all different ethnic uh, uh, origin running around homeless, stateless, loveless, purposeless. What are we to do? Shamima Begin with the baby in her arms. Here's Hagar in the desert. And later on she's in the desert again with a child who is dying. And what does she say? I can't bear to watch this child die. And so she goes... And she breaks her heart with weeping. These are hard stories. These are hard news stories for us today. What are we to do? Shamima Begin with her baby, two weeks old, and it dies. I can't think of a worse outcome for the Home Office, quite honestly. But you know, there are so many like her in those camps. There are so many Hagar's out there. And that's why these stories are so relevant and should touch our hearts. And how many of those Isis brides, do you think, tried to run away? when they were abused and misused, and when they realized the decision they had made was a desperate and heartbreaking one. I feel sorry for Abram. I think he was essentially quite weak. Forgive me, father of the faithful. However, he is not painted in a pretty light in this story. He has the one with the great promise from God and yet he succumbs to his wife's plan. Well, we should all know that we are weak and we don't always walk with the Lord in the light of his word as we should do. And Abraham was made of the same flesh and blood as us. And my heart goes out to him, because he is caught between two women, which um, if any of you men have been caught between two women, you'll know that's not a comfortable place to be. But there he was. He loved Ishmael. I have no doubt about that. Abraham loved his firstborn son. But there came the day when he had to send him out, apparently, into the desert. Ishmael is by now a teenager. Sarah has by now become a mother. And perhaps she found herself saying, I am too old for this. And wouldn't you when you were 90? Sometimes when I look after my grandchildren, I think, oh, my life... I'm too old for this. Some grandparents have to bring up their grandchildren in our world. Isn't that right? 76% of all childcare allegedly in our country is done by men and women who I'm sure day by day find themselves saying, I am too old for this. Sarah is now a mother Isaac. Ishmael's name, I've got it down written here, it's called, Ishmael means God listens. That's a beautiful name. It's a Hebrew name. God listens. Isaac's name means laughter. These two women, mothers, and the day comes when Sarah can't stand it any longer and sends, says to Abram, you've got to get rid of this woman, this slave, your slave woman and her son. Get rid of them. Abram sends his firstborn son out into the desert to die gives them meagre, meagre rations and off they go. Fast forward a few years and you find God saying to Abraham I want you to take your son Isaac and sacrifice him. I wonder if Abraham found himself thinking oh not again I already lost one son. And then we have this really remarkable story of Hagar in the desert the second time. This time with her teenage boy who is going to die of thirst. And again the angel of the Lord comes. And for the second time gives a promise about Ishmael. I will make of him a great nation. Now this is a promise given in the context of kindness, God's provision, God's care, God's love for Hagar and her little boy. I will make of him a great nation, Abraham. You don't have to worry about him. I am going to look after him. I am going to make of him a great nation, and then he opens Sarah's eyes to a well and both uh, Hagar's eyes to a well and both Hagar and the boy are saved and off they go they go to live in the desert of Paran whatever that was like and we read his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. It's what mothers do, isn't it, Alison? Provide for their children. And there we have it. No more mention of Hagar until you get to the New Testament. When Paul in Galatians compares Hagar and Sarah, I am not going to go into that. I need to read that ten times to get my head round what Paul says. But I just want to leave you with two pictures, really. One is the picture of these two women and their lot of motherhood. Reluctant, unwitting, perhaps even unjust in Hagar's case. I want to leave you with a picture of God's would seem at times ambivalent care of both these women and their sons. And I want you to think about the world we live in today and what our response should be to the situations that we find ourselves contemplating. The angel of the Lord is prominent and gives promises in both cases, both about Isaac and about Ishmael. Some people have said, well, of course, if Abraham and Sarah hadn't made that mistake, we wouldn't have the problems we have today. I'm not sure I agree with that. Because it seems to me that God's promise to Ishmael and God's promise to Isaac are very similar. And it's for us to work out the implications of that today. I don't have the answers to it all. I'm going to leave you with the open ends and to ask God by his Holy Spirit to lead us all in the light of his word. Amen.